Just tell him how good he is where you're at. Just lift it up. Thank you, God. We celebrate you tonight. Yeah, my 
Well, good morning, everyone. You may remember my, me. My name is Justin. I get to lead you guys in work today, and that's always a fun thing for me. Not just fun, but it's always a blessing for me. So uh, now it's the time where we make each other feel welcome. So go shake somebody's hand, tell them you're glad they're here, and sing along with them. Give you a story, a story, a story. 
morning, everybody. My name is Mark, and I'm preaching this morning. We know who you are. That's just a reminder. Well, it is great to see you this morning on this crisp fall season in East Texas. It's actually going to get down to 95 this week, so that's nice. Uh, if you have been in any of the stores, especially Hobby Lobby, their pumpkins are selling like crazy Christmas trees. It's just got that fall feeling, doesn't it? You only, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Anyway, would you take your worship guides? Uh, I want to highlight a few things. It's great to have you here this morning. If you're watching uh, on the internet, it is wonderful to have you with us as well. Um, our hope and our prayer is that having been with us and worshiped with us this morning, that you fall in love with Jesus Christ. And uh, we're in the middle of a study right now on who is this man, who is Jesus. Uh, basically, we're taking all four Gospels and we're putting them together and putting them in chronological order to try to discover who, who does God introduce himself to us as through the Scriptures and try to put away some of our preconceived ideas. And, uh, and so we're glad you can join us in that endeavor this morning. And, and uh, we're going to be in Luke 8 today. So um, by way of announcements, we have some uh, exciting news. We had our vote Wednesday night on the property sale. And we had several hundred people vote, and it was unanimous to sell the property. So... Isn't that exciting? It really is an answer to prayer. We should close sometime early November, and uh, as we do, um, that will get us closer to paying the renovation fees. Uh, for those of you who've been at Carpenter's Way, we're renovating the bathrooms, uh, we're putting in a nursing room, uh, and also the, the building. We own this whole, this whole building, and you know where the student center is, the high school and junior high wing? We're right in the middle is a large uh, area We've gutted already, and it is going to be an adult discipleship wing, and we're very excited about that. This will get us closer to our goal of, uh, of paying that off and uh, of paying for that, because we are not going to go into debt for this project. When we're, when we're done, I mean, just talk about how the Lord has provided. We will have no debt. We own the property. We're going to own the renovation. It's just, it's just wonderful. Uh, we are a debt-free ministry, and we feel like that glorifies the Lord. It's not that there's anything wrong with borrowing. It's just right now, we don't want to borrow, and, and so... Uh, thank you for your participation in that. Uh, we've raised half the money we needed, and, and we appreciate that. So we will celebrate more as the coming months go. But thank you for coming out and voting, all of you who did. Um, yesterday was a pretty special day. We married Stephanie and Darren to each other, and uh, we had an exciting afternoon. Nobody had a heat stroke, and it was wonderful. We saw Dolores Smith dirty dance on the dance floor. <laughs> Seriously, that's the most exciting thing you got excited about this morning. It was, it was weird. I mean, she's still the receptionist of the church, but that is under, under review. So <laughs> it is amazing what happens when you get a bunch of Baptists and some wine. It just, it's just the craziest thing. Non-alcoholic, it didn't have time to go from, from grape juice in the bottle. It's probably time for me to finish the announcements real quick. Uh, okay, real quick, a couple things. First of all, I want to remind you that for those of you who have been visiting at Carpenter's Way, if you're interested in, in, in understanding the culture of the church, why we do what we do, or you're ready to become a member, we have a, uh, we call it What is Carpenter's Way? It's a new members class. It takes place during a Sunday morning service from 9.30 to about 11.45. You meet all the elders. You meet the whole staff. Uh, we go through the, const the, the bylaws, uh, how we function, what we vote on, what... Uh, uh, it goes through church officers. Also, we go through the doctrine of the church. Uh, Jeff and I lead that discussion. And that is going to take place the last Sunday of the month, September 29th. It takes place in the library. So we want to encourage you to, to, to come join. 
Just because you come to that doesn't mean you're becoming a member, but it is the right way to find out what we believe, why we do what we do, and it is a perfect place for you to, for you to ask questions because we're in there to answer them. So please take note of that. Um, I mentioned the vote. I want to also highlight there is an opportunity to serve. Uh, we need some assistance in our, in our children's ministry, and if you're uh, willing to serve, there, I know that the uh, leadership of that would appreciate it. I also want to mention, again, we're on our third week of a discussion on what is sacred marriage. Um, this, is, this is not a, a conversation on five steps to good communication. This is a conversation on what is the difference between a sacred marriage and a secular marriage. We are confused on that. A sacred marriage is not the marriage between a man and a woman. That is not what biblical marriage is. It is between a godly man and a godly woman. So for six weeks, we're having a discussion on that. We are, we're going to be on week three this Wednesday night. Um, and uh, we would love to have you come out. If you haven't been a part of that so far, you can, you can come out. There's been a phenomenal turnout for that. And uh, we'd love to have you join us, even if it's for just a week or two. Um, so I think that does it for the announcements. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time to prepare for our offering. If you are visiting with Carpenter's Way, this is the one part of the church we ask you not to participate in. We do not want you confused with money. This is not why we're here. We exist to glorify the Lord and encourage Him. Uh, in November every year, we have an annual business meeting where we have two weeks before that, we present a budget for the next year to the congregation and we vote on it. And, uh, as, and it is our commitment, those of us who attend here regularly, to support that budget. It doesn't just pay for the bills here and the staff. We also support Missionaries Global. Um, I think it's like 14 to 15% of our budget goes towards uh, international and local mission work. So we're excited about that, and that's what you're giving towards. Uh, again, if you're visiting, please don't give. Uh, we just want you to hear from the Lord and, and be encouraged today. So let's, let's commit the rest of our service to the Lord. Uh, Father, we're thankful that you have gathered us together this morning, and, and those, even those who are watching on the Internet. We're thankful that they can join us this morning, and it is our hope and our prayer that each of us would be drawn close to you as, as a result of having been together today. Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit is not limited to a location or to a building. Uh, for your children, he lives within us. We are the temple of his, uh, of, of his location. He, he lives within us and he changes us. Together we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. People watching online, Lord Jesus, they can, uh, they can be moved and touched by you. Uh, so I pray, Lord, that, that preeminent over all things this morning would be the voice of God. Um, we thank you that there's going to be great worship. We thank you that we're going to open the word. We're going to have some laughs together and look at scripture. But ultimately what we want is to hear from you. So that's what we ask for you this morning. Uh, and uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would bless the new Foreman family and that you would go before them, that they would be a testament to, to your faithfulness uh, and that they would, be, they would serve you. And Lord Jesus, we ask you this morning again to meet with us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
come in the room, let's turn off the air conditioning. And man, that was aw- that is that is definitely your sweet spot. Is that a? I, I saw Crowder wrote that, but is that a new song or is that an old song? I'll tell you what, throw the blood in. The, let's get saved. <laughs> that was unexpected. That was like that birthday gift when you thought you got them all, and then somebody brings another one out. That was. Tell you what, we're going to buy you some ripped old dirty jeans. <laughs> Gosh, that was so good. Yeah. Oh, my hope. Okay, all right, sorry. Okay, uh, let's, let's pray and, and give our time to the Lord. Father, thank you for good music. Um, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that removes all our sin. Thank you for removing our chains and setting us free, and thank you, Father, for songs that remind us of what's true. So, Lord Jesus, we pray um, for what's about to take place as we open your word. It is my prayer that you remove um, my ideas and my thoughts, and you teach us your own. Uh, So do just that. Uh, Change us. Do not let us leave the same as we came. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. In our study of uh, the life of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Christ, it's only been a a short period of time since the Pharisees and the religious leaders had been telling everybody that Jesus' supernatural power was actually from Lucifer, from Satan. Uh, The day before, or yesterday, they actually show up where Jesus is ministering in a house that's packed, and they begin to debate with him challenging him that if he'll do one more really cool miracle, one over-the-top miracle, that they will be followers as well. To which Jesus responds, the next miracle you see of that level is going to be me rising from the dead. Just like Jonah came out of the belly of the well, that's going to be that miracle you're looking for. While he's ministering and debating with these people in this house, his family comes up And they began asking some of his disciples to interrupt Jesus' ministry and have him come outside because they think he's unhinged. They think he's he's become a religious zealot and that he's lost his mind. And what they want is him to come out of the house so that they can kidnap him and take him away to where he can get back to thinking more rationally. This is pretty much the day in the life of Jesus. And about mid-afternoon, he sneaks away with his disciples and goes to the seashore of the Sea of Galilee and while he's there the crowds actually follow him there and then other people find out he's there and the crowd begins so big and it says that they were so pushing in on him he got into the boat with the disciples and he taught just floating offshore. As he taught, he taught with parables and it upset the disciples so they start questioning his teaching with parables. Why do you teach with parables? They don't understand you. And Jesus answered, that's why he teaches with parables. Because Jesus didn't come. Now pay attention here. Jesus did not come to just get people out of hell. That's not why he came. He came to seek and save that which is lost and offer offer us and them an opportunity to have a relationship with his father. One of the side benefits of that is heaven. That is not the point though. The fear of the Lord and his judgment is the beginning of wisdom, but it is the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, that is our strength. And too often today, as back then, people are just looking to get out of judgment. They don't want a relationship with God. And so Jesus spoke in parables so that those who weren't really interested in a relationship with God would walk away. You see, it was only those that seek, ask, and knock, as he said at the Sermon on the Mount, that actually meet Jesus. 
And you'll find in the, in the New Testament Gospels, the more questions the disciples asked, the more he answered. He didn't answer them for the crowd because they weren't asking. You're going to find soon enough that he goes back to Nazareth and nobody gets healed in that town. I think maybe one person. And then they go to the next town and it says hundreds were healed. And the disciples ask, why was nobody moved in your town? And he said, because they didn't ask. They weren't interested. This was not, and, and, and as we study this, I hope you're seeing this, but this was never just about heaven and hell. That's not what he came to save us from. He came to save us from the sin nature that keeps us out of relationship with God. Ephesians 1.5 says that the unchanging plan of God was to adopt us into his family, to make us his kids. This was always about a relationship, not about judgment. Having said that, um, we pick up our story. It's later that night. Jesus has been speaking from the boat. And this is where the story picks up in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they started out. And as, the, as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. And the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and, uh, and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked, where's your faith? The disciples were, and this is why I'm reading this. Some of you are going, ah, uh, that was two weeks ago message. Has he lost his mind? The answer is yes, but I, I know we preached it two weeks ago. But context matters. So this is the context of today's text. They were terrified and amazed. Just remember that. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. So two weeks ago, before we took our break last week for communion and to take a breath and listen to a letter that Jesus wrote to a church of Ephesus, this is what we talked about. I would encourage you to go back if you, have not, if you were not part of, it, uh, of the study that week. You can see it on the internet, the archives. Not because the preaching is great, but because the question, who is this man, is answered. You see, the disciples who had even been with Jesus for a year and a half to two years, they still didn't get it. When you hang out with Jesus, it is impossible for us not to read into him what we want him to be. But every once in a while, his power shows up and you're left terrified. That's a consistent through scripture from the prophet Isaiah to John when he sees Jesus after spending three and a half years with him, when he sees Jesus in his glory at the beginning of Revelation. We take him lightly, even today. It is not uncommon for somebody in the church to say, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask Jesus this question because I wanna understand why he hurt me this way or why did he allow me to hurt or I refuse to believe in a God who, this, this, this very common phrase in order to, to emphasize persons, a person's own belief you're not going to do that. That's not how this is going to work. When we see God in his glory, we're going to do exactly what John did and Isaiah did, and we're going to fall on our face, and he's going to show mercy to us. We have, as the disciples did, forgotten ourselves. He's not a buddy. He's not a friend. He's God who declares us his friend. He welcomes us into his presence. He invites us to boldly approach the throne. And without an invitation, ain't nobody going to do that. That's a hangover from that song, Ain't Nobody. It's true, though. We forget ourselves. And I want to say something that's kind of off the wall, and you're going to have to think about it. I've said it probably three or four times in the last few months. But I want to make it clear. This one we're talking about, Jesus, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're God. 
He's God. And whether you like how he runs his universe or not doesn't change who he is and what he does. If God was not who he is, if he was arbitrary and mean and hateful, and if he was like every human king, totally self-absorbed, we would still bow because he's God. I, I hope you understand that. He's not just a human that we can just manipulate or run away from. He's God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think sometimes in the way we interact with him, just like the disciples, who is this man? We forget ourselves in light of who he is. And it's important that as we go through the study that we remember that who we're talking about is not just some child of Mary. This is Mary's creator. And that has an impact on how we see him in the scriptures. What a few days Jesus had had. Eventful exhausting and not yet done. Luke 8, 26. So they arrived in the region of Gerizines across the Lake of Galilee. Once again, three of the four Gospels record what we're about to talk about this morning. This is the morning after the storm. So we have, okay, and I, and I want to keep the timeline as accurate as I can. We have the Pharisees and religious leaders accusing Jesus of being demonic. Sometime soon after that, not the next day, we don't know how long, but sometime after that, they then, same people, come and ask him to perform a miracle for them that they just said was under the authority of the devil. They tell him, we'll follow you. Soon after that, during that same day, they get in an argument with him. His family comes up and tries to kidnap him. While that's all going on, he continues to teach and minister. He rejects their invitation to go outside because he knows what they're about to do. He makes his way to the seashore. Crowds gather. The disciples start questioning his teaching. I mean, think about that. The disciples are questioning his teaching strategy. You think they forgot themselves? He gets in the boat. He falls asleep because he's tired. They start to drown. This text in Luke doesn't really tell everything that happened. The other Gospels tell us that they were mad at him. How dare you let us drown? Don't you even care? He wakes up. He speaks to the storm. It stops. They freak out. Who is this man? Then they keep rowing. They get to the other side, and this takes place. As they arrived in the region of Gerizines, across the Lake of Galilee. Now, side note, because this is important if you're a student of the Word, this event, as I said, is so significant that three of the four Gospels record it. It is in the brain and the, and the psyche of three of the four people who write the Gospels. Matthew, however, records it as having taken place in the region of Gardazines, as opposed to Luke, who records it taking place in Gerizines. Biblical historians think that maybe the territory around Gerza belonged to the city of Gadara. That's what they think. We don't know, though. Why would one... Uh, why would one apostle and, and gospel writer record that it's one place and one recorded as another? They believe that it's one place, highlighting a town versus a region. We don't know. But I just want to warn you, those of you who are students of the Word, every time a secularist decides that they have finally found proof that the Bible is not authoritative, archaeology proves them wrong. And I can give you a dozen examples of this. One of my favorites is the language of the Bible. The Greek language that the Bible uh, was originally written in wasn't a language known until 1910 or 1915. In fact, that was one of the arguments that secularists would say that Christianity was a man-made religion, that the disciples created this religion. And how do they know that? Because there was no Greek language like the one written in scriptures. 
around 1910 and 1920, they stopped excavating in just royal houses and Roman governorships and started excavating in the slave market. When they did, guess what they found? It's called Koine Greek. It means common Greek. The Bible was written in common Greek language. All of these years, they have attacked the scriptures because the language, the Greek dialect used was not a common dialect that they had ever found excavating. Once they got to the common market, they found that Greek. This book was written for the common man, the worker, the lay person. It was not written for religious leaders at all. But that is just one example of many, many examples of where scientists said the scriptures are wrong because of a name or a date. And sure enough, in time, it proves itself to be true. This faith that we have, the scriptures can be trusted. Not because we say so, or even because the apostles say so, but also because science says so. It's continually approving itself. And I, I want to say something, and I want to take a shot for a second. And I know I'm about to take a shot. But we do live by faith, but it is a reasoned faith. Extra biblical evidence proves the existence of Jesus Christ. It proves the death of Christ, and it proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is study to find those things out. There's tons of evidence to the claims of Scripture. The things in the Bible aren't just evidenced by the Bible, unlike Mormon doctrine. Mormon doctrine is absolutely made up. How do I know? I spent a lot of time in Utah. I spent a lot of time learning from Mormons when I was in high school. And one thing's sure, they have no evidence for anything that they claim in the Book of Mormon happened. Everything is a duplicate or a thought or this might be. We have biblical evidence that Jesus Christ lived, died, and resurrected in the Holy Land. We have zero evidence that he ever came to the Americas. If you're a Mormon, that is not a, that is not a version of Christianity. Seek Jesus Christ, not the prophet. Seek him, because hell is real, and it is the place people go who are not the friends of God, who are not reborn by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I know some of you are like, whoa, can you say that? To save people's souls, I'll absolutely say that. And it matters. It matters. You've got to know what you believe or you end up watering it down, right? Okay, thank you, seven of you. Again, it's been a heck of a night. They're tired. Jesus slept while they almost died. They woke him up screaming. He calms the storm. Now they get to the other side of the sea. Verse 27, as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of the town. Matthew tells us, that also records this story, that there's actually two men. Uh, Luke records the, the conversations that Jesus Christ has with one of them. He tells us that these two men were so violent that the actual region was upended because of them. People knew where they were, and they avoided them at all costs. These guys ran naked and lived naked in the tombs. They are an absolute mess. Before we move on, I want to make something clear. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is Satan's goal for your life. Look, we talk a lot about God's plan for our lives, what he wants from us, total surrender. Now I need to help you understand that Satan also has a plan for your life. And it is absolute self-destruction. These guys are what it looks like when he gets control. This is what his end game is. 
naked, living in a tomb, violent, chaos, no peace, no hope. You may not be as out of control as these guys, but you should be aware of Lucifer's plan for your life because he clearly has one. And having said that, I want to make it clear that if you choose to play with Satan's toys, if you don't resist the devil, if you choose the flesh over God, thinking it's just a personal choice, which is his plan, he's already in process of owning you like these two men. I'm not saying here that you're going to end up naked in a graveyard freaking out. There's a worse thing than that. Everybody knows these guys are screwed up. But there's a place in the middle that has somebody thinking that they're just making personal choices and they die in their sins without God. That is a very, very dangerous place. Jesus said in John 10.10 that the thief or Satan's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And as we're studying the teachings of Jesus, you need to take all of them into your heart and understand that Satan, who presents himself, Scripture says, as an angel of light, has a plan for your life. These two men lived in a graveyard where they were naked and so violent the people in the area had to reroute their lives. I keep reading today, even among Christians and on Facebook and everything else. I know you're in the process of removing me from your Facebook accounts because I learn a ton from there. But I keep reading that the problem with the world today and schools today and society today is the Ten Commandments is not in the courthouses, it's not in the schools and that the Bible is not welcome into school, I keep hearing that it's not prayer. Let me make it clear. I personally don't believe that's the problem. I believe that the problem is with our culture, and I might even add with our churches today, is that we have exchanged the life God offers us when we submit and bow the knee to Him for a life that's self-centered. Self-centered living with self-centered worship and a religion that promises you whatever you want and even tells you that God wants for you what you want. I believe that we have replaced bowing and submitting to God and His will by asking God to bow to us. We actually believe that if we give more rules to people, they'll follow them better. I want to remind you that the Jews heard from God directly those ten rules, and they couldn't keep them for more than 30 days. You remember what happens at the base of Mount Sinai. They actually take all of their gold and they it down and they build a calf and then they say, that is the God who delivered us from Egypt. The problem with people is not that they don't understand legalism or the rules or God's expectation. We all know in our hearts right and wrong. If you don't believe that, go steal somebody's purse. Actually, find an atheist and slap them in the face. Because they will look at you and say, why did you slap me? And you say, because I'm stronger and bigger than you. And they will say, well, that's not right. And you can say, well, you don't believe in God, so there's no divine authority or moral count. I can do whatever I want. Survival of the fittest, right? Take out your gun and shoot them. That is chaos, and that's the world we're living in. To the point now where there are some even politics who think that it's okay now not to just abort a baby that you've not seen, but to actually have that baby born and kill that baby. You want to know what moral chaos looks like? You want to know the equivalent of running naked and living in a tomb? That's what it looks like. The problem is that the, we have a form of godliness, but a denial of the power that transforms. When we have 60% or so that claim to be born-again believers in this country, when we have 80% or 85% to have some sort of Christian religion, and yet these kind of things are allowed, we are no longer bowing the knee to God. The answer to this country's problem is not better politics. It is Christians actually being led by the Holy Spirit. That will fundamentally transform everything about our culture, from our homes to our schools 
to our churches. And we need it. You see, Satan has us believing that his control over our life is only when we're running naked in graveyards and Ouija boards and blood is coming out of our eyes. That's not true. That's not even his best work. His best work is done with people that, are, that think they're submitted to God while living completely by the flesh. And now, the Christian religion is introduced and it's the fasting grow, growing part of Christianity today is teaching you that God wants you to be happy and you can be just like him. You do understand that that's not the first time Satan said that, right? Remember what he told Eve? You like that fruit? Here, not going to die. God just knows if you eat that fruit, you will become wise. And you'll be like him. And you'll know good and evil. You see, the problem with the church is we're still listening to the lies of the evil one. We still think God lives to please us. Ephesians 1 tells us that God lives to please himself. The question is whether or not we will bow the knee to God, who is gracious and merciful and loving and has a plan for our life. John 10.10 10 explains that plan. The whole verse, this was only half. Put the other part. The thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Please understand that when he says rich, it doesn't mean money. When he talks about satisfying, it doesn't mean everybody bowing to you. It means a purposeful life, a life of hope that's full with God's direction and guidance. Jesus clearly said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but we often forget that there is a yoke and there is a burden, but it's light and easy. Our society is a mess and the church has become a mess because we have begun to sell God in a box. Whatever you want him to be, there's a different flavor, and I just want to make it clear. Jesus Christ is not a Baptist. He's not an Assemblies of God member. He's not a fan of Hillsong music. He doesn't like Mormonism. He never came to America. He's not a Jehovah's Witness. He's not a Jew. He is the, he is the Son of God coming to redeem man, and he invites us to join him in his purposes. And that's even taught in the Old Testament. We have to remember, the question of the church, the question of every individual is not, do I want God to join me in my journey? but whether I will join God in his journey. That's what he meant when he said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Jesus got out of a boat, and he came face to face with two guys that are naked and screaming and belligerent and demon-possessed. What would he face today in this culture that claims to be a Christian culture? Back to our story, verse 27. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, take note of that, as soon as he saw him, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and he rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. A few observations. Number one, demons are real. Number two, they can take control of a person not under God's control. Number three, they know, they fear, and they submit to God. 
In Matthew's recording of the story, something interesting is added to it. In verse 829, the demon begins screaming at Jesus through this man, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us? Look at that. What's he talking about? When he binds the de- the, uh, Satan and his angels in chains and sends them to hell. The Greek word here is the great abyss. This, is, this tells us that they were fully aware of their coming judgment as well. And they were terrified by it. They didn't fight him. These are not two equal forces. These are angels. He's God. We forget who this is. This is not just him. This is him in human flesh. He's God in his glory. His words carry power. Nobody can stand against him. Not the devil, not his angels, not any demonic power. Nothing can separate the power from this man. And even the demons cry out. I want to make it clear. Satan is not a joke. His angelic followers are not merely characters in fictional Disney stories. And he is not to be trifled with. In fact, the instructions of believers in the New Testament are to resist him, not to take him on. The arrogance of some within the church going, I'm a demon-fighting believer. Well, the angel Michael, in the book of Jude, I believe it says, actually said, not Jude, it's, uh, it's in, I'll get back to you. But he actually said, for the, when he was wrestling for the, for the bones of Moses, he said, the Lord rebuke you, and it specifically says that he didn't say, I rebuke you, because he had no authority. We do everything we do with the authority of the Holy Spirit that lives within us as his children. And when we start taking our eyes off of him and putting it on ourselves, this week, uh, as usual, you see a lot, of, a lot of posts on Christianity. And especially as women want to feel empowered, there's a lot of conversation on what you are in Jesus. Can I be clear? You are nothing without him. It is in your weakness he is made strong. And, and these, these verses taken out of context, which make you feel empowered, ladies and men, they're taken out of context. You will never defeat the evil one in your flesh. You will never defeat sin in your flesh. You won't even defend your spouse in your flesh. It is with the power of God that, that life is changed, that our lives are changed. It's with the power of God that culture is changed. If we outlawed sin in America, sin would still exist. If we outlaw homosexuality in this society, homosexuality will still exist. If we outlaw adultery in our society, it will still exist. If we outlaw pride, but we keep acting like outlawing sin is the, is the solution, and it is not. Everybody knows they're sinners. It's unfortunate that the church no longer offers hope for sinners. Our only hope is Jesus. I'm yelling. Calm down. It was that song. It's, it's made me old school. <laughs> Dear Jesus. <laughs> That's good. I'm like, Seriously, you know what I'm saying here? Look, I'm with you. I, I sometimes forget who I am, and God has to remind me. That's why he gave me Julie. She at times reminds me who I really am. I, I know I've told you this joke before. There's a, there's a pastor who, who preached his heart out, and, and, and everybody lined up after the message and told him what a great message it was, and he gets in the car. Have I told you this joke? It's really a good one. Best joke ever. And he's driving down the road, and he realizes his wife is unusually quiet, and he, he drives, and he, he's priming the pump, so he says to her, you know, honey, I just, I just felt really anointed today. That's what pastors say when you want to sound spiritual. 
I felt very anointed today. That's code for you need to tell me how anointed I was. Anointed is a scriptural way of saying how good you are. And, and, and uh, his wife said, uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that. They go another block, and he says, you know, I, I had a lot of people tell me how good the message was today. <laughs> you know, sweetheart, there just aren't that many great preachers left in this country. She looks at her husband and says, honey, there's actually one less than you think. <laughs> there is a danger in reading your own press releases, and I think the church does that. We do nothing outside of the power of God through the, through the Holy Spirit. Nothing. We accomplish nothing. And, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. Actually, we're going to do voter registration for the next two Sundays. That is not to tell you to vote Republican or Democrat, but to be involved. We pay taxes. That's the right thing to do. We should vote. That's our responsibility. But we do not put our hope in the vote. We do not put our hope in people. We put our hope in God. And, and I, I, at least we should. And I think, I think we keep getting pulled back. I think we keep getting drugged back in. We get saved, and because we're convinced it's about hell, we feel completed. Now I, I need to this. And if you doubt me, I'm going to bring you back to a conversation that, that we had in our Sunday night Bible study group. And, and I rem- I, I, it, it struck me so much. And I just want to throw out to you, if you were to ask somebody how they know they're a Christian today, they will tell you, well, I prayed the prayer. I walked an aisle. I went to church. I was baptized. You realize that's not the question of how you know you're saved, right? The answer to that question is, God transformed me. God redeemed me. He met me that day in church. We've actually, even in our words, it's, oh, pastor, you're being picky. I'm not. Think about it. Our words matter. We really believe it's us. And that's what leads to this. There's, uh, I'm going to sound like, like your old man pastor when you were a child. There really is a danger in thinking there's such a thing as a white witch. You know that, right? That there's a good witch. Satan approaches as an angel of light. There is truth and there is a lie. And truth is found in Jesus. And we have to be careful not to trifle with this stuff. Be careful. Be careful when you play with Satan's toys. Adultery, pornography, Ouija boards, self-centered living, thinking your parents are fools. Those are gateway drugs to Satan controlling your life. Even if you never end up naked in a graveyard, These are Satan's tools that meet you where you are to make you feel good about yourself because Satan wants us to feel good about ourselves so we don't lean on Jesus. No matter what you're being told, Jesus is not okay with you as you are or he wouldn't ask you to be crucified with him. He wants to transform you fundamentally into the image of his son. That's scriptural. You know that. And I do believe, going back to what I said before, That this society has a tendency to mistreat people, whether it's women or people of color. I do believe that exists. I believe racism exists. Having said that, if you have been violated, the answer is not social justice in America. It's grace that you offer others. If you are that person, it's getting on your knees and repenting of your prejudice and letting God fundamentally transform you from the inside out. The church should be different not because we are woke. The church should be different because we are submitted to Jesus and we love people as he does. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody does. 
I need a little here there. Hello? Here's why. What does this have to do with two naked guys yelling at Jesus? Because that ain't going to happen in this room. There's not going to be anybody. We're not going to show up on a Sunday, probably. If it happens, Kip Haver's going to take care of it with Robert Grimes. But there's probably not going to be anybody running through the aisles naked claiming Satan is God. That's probably not going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to start watering down the truth. And that's what's going on in our society. And secularism and humanism and Christianity are, are marrying right now. When pulpit time is no longer about Jesus, but it's about you and how you get better and how you can be this or you can be that, and it's a verse here or there to endorse the pastor's ideas on how you become great, it is no longer about Jesus. You understand that, right? That's why we stick with the text. Back to the text. As soon as he saw Jesus, I'm going to start in 28 again and work through it now. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell to the ground in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Very important line. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit, the abyss, hell. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the, and, and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down steep hillside, the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Sounds like every uh, ghost story you heard around a fire as a kid, right? Now you know they're true. Now you know they're true. Oh, I don't believe in them. You don't have to, but Jesus does. This is what happened. This is what spiritual war looks like. There was not just one demon in these guys either. They called themselves legion. I can't tell you how many demons were in this man, but a legion is 6,000 men. These are not little people. These are demons. These are spirit forces. These are spiritual. They fit. I, I don't know how many there are, but they called themselves legion, and there was a ton of them in there. One of the texts infers, one of the gospels infers that there are 2,000 pigs, and all of the pigs went off the hill. So let's just assume for a second that there are 2,000 demons and two men. That's Satan's goal for us. That's what he wants to do. Now he's not just a little cute character in a, in a Bugs Bunny commercial on somebody's shoulder. He's a serious force to be reckoned with. One final thing. I want to make it clear if I haven't already, there's no spiritual neutral territory. A little pornography, a little rebellion against your parents, a little self-centeredness is demonic. Well, I struggle with that. I'm not demon-possessed. No, but you can sure be influenced, oppressed, you can sure feel those things. Satan wants you, well, he wants you like he wanted Eve. He didn't say, fall down and worship me. He said, you can have control of your life. Just disobey God a little bit, and your life will be so much better. Now think about your life. If you have never read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, you need to pick it up. 
about 100 pages, I think 120 pages. I think it's free available online. It's worth the read. It is an interesting insight on how demons work in our lives. I think it will change the way you look at your thoughts. Satan is not going to show up with, with, with horns and a tail and a pitchfork because you would all get on your knees if you saw that. In the parking lot, of course, but you would get on your knees. So would I. But if he shows up as just a voice in your head, he's called the liar, we're not going to fear him. We're going to argue with him. And then we're going to concede to him at times if we're not bowing the knee to this one. Back to our story. Satan's plan for your life is for you to do life on your own terms. You've been warned. This study, though, isn't about Satan or demons. It's about Jesus. And the demons submitted to him as God, begging him not to send them to hell, giving them permission to leave this man. So they go into pigs, and they drive the herd off the cliff into the sea where they all drown. Verse 34. When the herdsmen... Oh, I didn't think about that. Somebody owned those pigs. It was a herd of pigs. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. The Greek is even more emphatic that these guys are running going, our pigs are demon-possessed. Our pigs are demon-possessed. They, they ran off a cliff. This is what that looked like. These were herdsmen. These were dirty, stinking pig farmers. I can say it now because it was three ministries ago. We lived in Wisconsin for five years. There's a lot of pig farmers up there. That's a different breed of cattle farmer. These are not babies. These are men's men, and they're screaming. What they saw terrified them. They saw their pigs run off the cliff, and they run as they run, they're screaming. Verse 35, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly safe, and they were all afraid. So this is why I read the context before. You have the disciples, remember, two weeks ago, who are pretty comfortable taking Jesus from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the next. We said it's an eight-mile-wide lake, and this is something they knew. This is something they could do for him. So he says, take us to the other side. We're going to do ministry over there. He goes to sleep in the boat, and then the storm comes up, and it starts to fill the boat. It says it's going to, they're going to drown, and they panic, and they get mad at him because they were terrified of the storm. He wakes up. He calms the storm, and now they're more terrified now of the man who calmed the storm. You've got these herdsmen who are running for their lives terrified, and like everybody who's going to see the movie It next month, they actually run to the scene. That wasn't funny? Was that not a... All right, I'll, I'll hit that one again in a week or two. Um, everybody goes to the scene to see what's going to happen because we all love a good train wreck, and they go to the scene to see what's going on, and when they see this guy that they all know, that they avoid, sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and calm, sane, it says, completely calm, that freaks them out more. They came to see demonic activity and dead pigs. What they found was a God who controls them. They were terrified. This chapter, this context is about the fear of the Lord. Let's keep moving. Pay attention. Verse 36. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of Gerizim begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a, grave a great wave of fear swept over them. So there's something built in our souls, and our bodies, you guys as Christians, that get us to believe that if we could just convince people who don't know him that he's real, they'll bow the knee. Let me be clear, that's not true. 
That's not true. We have two groups of people in this story, and it is one story, even though it's two different scenarios. The night before, 12 hours before, we have the disciples terrified at the one that they've been following who just calmed the storm. But they're still following him. They haven't run away. Now you have a group of people who are terrified by him because they watched him, they've seen him and heard and seen for themselves that he has control over the demonic. And their response is to actually beg Jesus to go away and leave them alone. To be clear, some want salvation, some do not. Sorry. That's why people reject him. Because they don't want him. Seriously. The problem with people is some of us don't want to bow the knee. The danger of the modern church is we're telling them they don't have to, that he'll bow the knee to you. They're reducing Jesus from God to human and they're raising us from human to divine. And that is the fastest growing brand of Christianity today and it is straight from hell. The truth is we must bow. You all know Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's part of the Romans road that you grew up learning. It says if you confess Jesus as and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He doesn't meet you halfway. He paid the price so you can go all the way. And going all the way means this. I give you control. Well, I'm willing to do that as long as... No, no, that's not control. I give you control. I trust. I believe. I surrender. Those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of Gerizim begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear swept over them. As I was thinking about this this week, a question came to mind, and this is a very personal. Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Are you pretending to be in neutral territory spiritually? That doesn't exist. You're either with Jesus or with Lucifer. There's no middle ground. Yes, I sound like a pastor. That's because it's true. There's no neutral territory. There's no such thing as a little selfishness. It's either him when you sacrifice yourself or feeding your flesh. which leads to being a fully devoted certain servant of Satan. Man, this is not the normal Mark message. This isn't about Mark, it's about Jesus. So after seeing his power, after realizing who he was, the whole region asked him to leave. And I think of all the verses in this whole text, 37b is the most tragic. Put it up there. Another lie you're told? Jesus will never give up. Well, apparently he did. They asked him to leave, and he did. I want to read Isaiah 55 to you, verses 1 to 7. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. 
Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and, I will, uh, and you will eat what is good and you will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples? Can I pause? See how I, God is speaking. I use David. I saw somebody this week going, if there are, that posted this. I, I, want you to, I want you to see this. If, I, if you posted this, this is not an attack. I don't know who posted it. I just, it just is in my brain. This is a common post among Christians. If God allows giants in your life, you must see you as David. David didn't beat anyone. I used him to display my power among the people. David is the only one who says, I didn't do this. While we're setting five stones to defeat the giants in our life, while pastors are telling you that you're better than you think, David goes, you come at me with a sword and a spear, I'm coming at you in the name of the living God, who you curse. Today, he will give me you into my hands, and I will feed you to the birds of the air. David screams from that text that he can't defeat that guy, but he has confidence in his God. And yet today we're recreating a David giant killer. David was not a giant killer. Jehovah was. Be careful how Satan creeps into your beliefs. You will never be good enough. That's the point. The point is that God does amazing things, miraculous things, through losers like us. That's what makes this amazing. We don't win the country back by making it all conservative or liberal. We win the country back when they bow the knee to Jesus. And to be honest with you, I'm not convinced it was ever bowing to Jesus. They came here to build a city on a hill, the best country ever, in their own power, based upon a constitutional system. I love all those things, but it ain't a Christian nation. Nations don't bow. People do. You want to see Angelina County change for Jesus? Start here. Put a circle, stand in the middle, and ask God for revival for everybody in the circle. It starts with us, how we live out our lives, from being pulled over by police who catch us speeding to, as I always say, having iced tea poured on you. Do I get mad when the iced tea is poured on me? How do I minister to people? Do I see my life as deserving of good treatment, or do I see my life like Paul's, a drink offering in which God places me in divine appointments to serve those with whom I come in contact? What is the purpose of my life? And I believe, for many of us, and not necessarily Carpenter's Way, I'm just talking about the church in general, and this includes me, we think we deserve certain things, and I'm here to tell you what we deserve is hell. What we have been given is a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. You do know that, right? You do remember that, right? And just because you're adopted into His family through the blood of Jesus Christ, you will one day get what you inherit. But that comes as a result of death. Until then, we are servants of the Most High, even if we suffer for it. Because that accomplishes His task. As a child of God, you are precious. You are powerful because the Holy Spirit lives within you, not because you have come to realize that having a big nose is not a problem. I will never be on the cover of GQ magazine, although I should. Why? Because I don't look like those guys. They look better than me. And the guys on GQ will never mount this pulpit. They haven't been asked to. We have a task. And our job is to surrender to God so we can fulfill that task. See how I used him to display my power among the people. I made him a leader among the nations. 
And yet we're recreating it like be David. And this isn't new because I grew up singing that song that many of you did, Dare to be a Daniel. Remember that? Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Do you remember that? Am I the only one? You just don't recognize it because I'm not much of a singer. Don't dare to be a Daniel. Don't be Paul. Don't be John or James. You be like Jesus. I can't be like Jesus. If you get on your knees, you can. If you put your hands up, you can. Because the Holy Spirit that's in you will empower you and make you like His Son. Verse 5, chapter 55. You also will command the nations you do not know, and people unknown to you will, become, will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Not because of your birth, but because of your rebirth. Verse 6, and this is why I'm reading this. Seek the Lord. What's that say? While you can find Him. Call on Him. What? While He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish every thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for He will forgive generously. There's a season and a time. Come to the Lord while He may be found. Jesus got into the boat and went to the other side because they asked him to. Luke 8, 38. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, you go back to your family and you tell them everything God has done for you. Notice God has done for you, not you've done. Notice what God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. For those of you who are surrendered to the Lord, there are times in our life where we go, I want to see you, Jesus. I need you to feed me. I'm discouraged. I'm tired. I want to go with you. I need to see your back like you showed Moses. Just help me. To you, Jesus says what he told these men. Not today, sweetheart. You go home and tell people what God has done for you. You want to know what it means to be a witness for the Lord God on high? Just tell him what he's done for you. Not what you've done for him. This is why we talk about the fruit of the Spirit so much. We, we, have, we have completely abandoned the concept of the fruit of God's presence that is, uh, that is not. And, and some of you have been asking about this. A lot of us grew up hearing that the fruit of God's Spirit's presence is people being saved. That's never the definition of it in Scripture. The definition of it in Scripture is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering and self-control. That's the list, and there's more beyond that. But in Galatians 5 says, these are the fruit of the Spirit's presence. And as children of God, we should reflect on our value system based upon those. And if we are not in that zone, we should get on our knees again and surrender. That's how you know if you're surrendered or not. Not based upon what you think is true, but what is true. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to be empowered by Jesus. The third member of the Trinity lives within you. Give him control. Give him control. If you are here this morning and you are living like Eve, eating the fruit that God told you not to eat, it is time to get on your knees. While you still can, get on your knees. Give your life to him while you still can. Because Satan's goal for your life is wicked and dangerous and attractive. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you um, for loving us and putting up with us. Thank you for going to that community you knew would reject you. 
And ironically, even though you got in the boat and you went back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee again and you do ministry, you actually go back to that region and tell them again. You chase. God, help us not to harden our hearts. Today is the day of salvation, Father. And if there's somebody today in this room or on the internet that doesn't know you that's watching, today may they cry out to you and declare you as Lord of their life and surrender their life to you, accepting your offer to forgive their sins. May you send your Holy Spirit to live within them and change them from the inside out. And for those of us who know you, who are studying you right now, Father, who are trying to learn who the Jesus of the Bible is, we're watching as people who think they understand you and have a grip on you. We're watching as they see your power become terrified. And some follow. And some run away. May we follow. So as you're speaking to your children here this morning, there are sins in, in our flesh that we have, well, there are areas that we have bowed the knee to our own flesh and to Satan. And now I pray that you would draw your people back to yourself. I pray that you would draw your children back to surrender no matter what it costs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. Uh, if you'd like to pray or talk, I'll be up here. If you're visiting with us at Carpenter's Way and you want to find a Bible study group, we have a table out there, a welcome table, that we would love to introduce you to a Bible study group. God bless you guys. Have an awesome Sunday. I was lost, but he